0: Good morning to you all, welcome, uh, special welcome, even though Craig has already said it, to the families of Jana and Alana. Um, thanks so much for coming out on this special occasion. Um, I look at this um, baptistry and uh, Ernie and I was filling it up uh, last night. Um, we had an attempt to heat it and it didn't work, so Alana and Jana, um, yeah, it's gonna be a bit cooler than normal. Um, that was Ernie's fault, but that's okay. <laughs> He's going in as well, so that's good. But it really does excite me uh, when I see that. Um, it excites me on the behalf of Alana and Jana um, that they're taking literally the plunge, and, and it's not easy for them. Um, as I've met with them a few times, um, and I've known them through the few years that they've been coming here. Um, and it's really exciting. And I hope you're excited too, uh, when it comes to uh, young people um, obeying what Christ said, no matter how hard it is, and it is hard for them. I remember it was hard for me. Um, In fact, there was, when I became a Christian, uh, I think I've told most of you this already, but there were three promises I made to myself. I'll never marry, I'll never preach, and I'll never get baptised. Now, you can probably, if you know me, all three were broken, um, happily, but that was how shy I was. Um, But yeah, it is really worth it um, for what they're doing. So excited on one hand, and probably for me a little bit sad uh, on the other hand, because this is my last talk here. Um, This is my last sermon that I'll be doing. Uh, I've got next week on and then six weeks off. Um, So I'll be working next week and then six weeks of holiday. Now, there are certain rules of my holiday. If you want to see me, because we will be around, Kath and I, you have to buy the coffees for a change. So not me doing it all the time. There's one or two that do shout me, but um, normally it's me doing the buying. So I will be on deck for six weeks um, as long as you buy the coffee. So kind of of a bit sad, but just to Run through what's going to go on. We're going through as a church, which we just started today, um, the seven letters in Revelation to the seven churches. Hence our title, Seven Letters, Seven Churches, and Seven Lessons. Now, because Alana and Yana wanted to be baptized, I'm shortening this one up. So, normally 35 minutes, we're going to try and keep it to 15. So, there's no intro, we're just going to rush into Revelation 2 and Uh, I'm only actually going to do the first five verses, Um, and unfortunately, I have told Alan Stanley, who's preaching next week, maybe he could look at chapter one and do the intro, because you really have to do that, but time doesn't allow us uh, this morning. So I'm going to try and wamble in baptism here um, somehow. Um, So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Revelation 2 and verse one, and we'll read to verse five, chapter two, verse one. And of course, um, Jesus, this is John writing this, but it's Jesus who's telling him what to write, to write seven letters to seven different churches. And so this is Jesus' words here to John, and John's writing them down. To the angel of the church of Ephesus, write these things down. These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, and this is what I'll say to you. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear what is evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and they're not and have found them out to be liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and you have not become weary. Verse 4. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You have left your first love. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Strong words. Very, very strong words. The church at Ephesus, it is a church that's been written now twice to by two different apostles. The apostle Paul in his epistle, so the Ephesians is the first, and now John is writing them on behalf of the Lord Jesus. Um, the second time, the first time when Paul writes to them, it's probably a church going very, very well. At their climax, at their peak of um, probably their works and their salvation and their work in the community, Um, was going super well but here down the track same generation we find that it's not the same church it used to be. So two apostles writing to the same church. It's interesting to note though when Paul writes to them he in his book in his epistle to them in his letter to them there are two main prayers that he brings out for this church at Ephesus. The first one, and, and what he just to quickly go through it in verse 18 of Ephesians chapter one, he says this to them. And and this is his prayer, that the eyes of your understanding might be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, that the riches of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints. So Paul saying he's praying for more light, that their eyes would be open to know what they have. And his second prayer is in chapter 3 of Ephesians, and he prays for more love. So more light and more love. Chapter three, eighteen in Ephesians, he says this, that you may be able to com- uh, co- comprehend with all the saints the width, the length, the depth, and the height, and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And so Paul is telling this church that's going really well, I want you to know more of Christ, that your eyes may be open, and not only that, when your eyes are open, that you may know the height, the length, the width, and the depth of the love of Christ as well. And here we come into revelation. And so light and love, what's missing? You've fallen. You're now left your first love what Paul was praying for, and now what John is writing about are two different things. They have fallen. It's like they had a log burner and it was on fire, it was glowing, it was red hot. But when John is writing to them, it's gone out. All there is in the log burner is ash, and they've got to do something about it. Otherwise, Christ is coming and that word there is coming, is coming soon. He's on his way if they don't repent. Before we get to the bad news and we look at that and we have an application for us here at HBC, there is good news with this church at Ephesus. They had works, they had labour. They had patience. That word for patience is twice. It's in verse 2 and 3. It actually can be um, translated long-suffering. They were suffering, but they didn't care. They kept going. And he, keep, he says to them, they're not growing weary. You keep going. Brilliant. And not only that, have they, ha- they got work, so they're, they're trying stuff. Maybe they've got Kennehy kids and they've got youth group and they've got ladies' craft going well. They're going to persevere, even though they're probably, they've got a certain amount of children, a certain amount of youth, a certain amount of old people. They're teaching, it's okay. But they're not really seeing anything, but they're working. They might not see any sa- souls saved, but they're persevering. Not only this, but Jesus says here that they cannot bear evil, they don't like sin which is great. Unlike the church at Corinth, the church at Ephesus here did not put up with evil in their church. If you were sinning, you were out. So hard church. They, they tested the apostles. More than likely, John was the only apostle left. So every time a person walked into their church and said, I'm apostle of Jesus Christ, they probably knew if it wasn't John, they weren't an apostle. And so they tested the apostles. If they were lying, they didn't get in. And then not only that, but they were patient, long-suffering again. They did not become weary. And that is pretty tough when we think of where they were, this church. They're in the middle of idol worship. The Romans, their God was Diana the fertility god, massive statue, naked, a huge temple, 125 foot long, 220 feet wide, and 120 pillars. And in there, hundreds of male, hundreds of female prostitutes, because she was the goddess of fertility. And so you could go in there and do what you liked. On the other side was the Greek God, Artemis, and its temple. And so in the middle of this, these two temples was where the marketplace where you bought food, and you had to worship one or the other before you got in. And crazy stuff, because children are in at the moment and there's no Sunday school, I won't mention what they did in these temples. But it was nuts that they would, yeah, I can't can't say it, so I won't. But anyway, let your mind wander. But they had to, if they were going to buy food, they had to worship in some way in the marketplace to one of these temples. And so as believers, they couldn't. So they were in a tough, tough city, Ephesus. It wasn't all going, It was hard. And so Jesus virtually says this that I know your works, I know your labour, I know your patience, I know you hate evil, I know you test the apostles. I know you just keep going. And that's fantastic. It's almost like he starts off, you can picture the elders, they get this letter, if they're wise, they would have read it before, but if not, um, and they start reading out this letter to the congregation. It's like, here's a letter from the apostle John. It's from Jesus himself. He has a vision. This is what he's saying to us as a church. We have works, good news. We have labour, we labour, good news. We have patience, good news. We hate evil, good news. We test our preachers, good news. We keep going, good news. And we're not growing weary, good news. People will be sitting out there thinking, yes. We are a good church. We are doing well. Maybe their mind goes back to Paul's letter and he says to them, Hey, you're raised with Christ. You're risen with Christ. You're now seated in the heavenlies with Christ. Good news. Hey, we've made it as a church. Paul says we're high. We're going well. But then as they carry on with this letter, verse 5 says to them, but this is what I have against you. You have left your first love. And though you think you're high, you have actually fallen. Risen with Christ, raised with Christ, seated with Christ. But as a church, you have fallen. It's almost like the Lord said to them, this one large debt of you falling has consumed all your credit. He's not talking about salvation here, but their works and their reward. All their credit was consumed by this debt of being fallen. That is sad. And for me as looking through this this week, that is a worry. Can you picture for me and, and what I do in the last 20 years in ministry that the Lord comes to me and he says, Gary, you know, I know what you've done. You've been through bookshops, you've been through Christian camping and you've been through pastoring. That's great. But all that you've done is for nothing. All your good works is really good for nothing. Why? Because it's done for yourself. I was reading in a commentary and it scared me even more It's a question that says this, why do you do the things that you do? For the praises of men, for the prestige of position, for reputation or duty. And as a pastor, I've slipped into all four of them things. And I think we all can, but I want to blame me first. The praises of men, reputation, duty, and prestige of position, all of them things can be done in my heart when I think I'm doing them for the Lord. And so why do I do the things I do? Is it because of them or is it because I have a love and a passion and a devotion for my Saviour, that I do the things I do because of who he is and what he has done? Because if I haven't, if I've done them for myself and the praises of men, etc., I have fallen. You have fallen. Three little words, eh? So scary. You have fallen. It reminds me in First Kings fourteen, and Rehoboam was. Um, exalted to king over Judea. He was a bit of a fool at the time, and so the Lord was going to teach him a lesson, and he brings, the Lord brings in Egypt to come in and strip the temple. And in doing so, they took off the guards, the temple guards, uh, their gold shields, pure gold. And then they took off with them. And what did Rehoboam do? Well, that didn't phase him too much. He, there wasn't a lot of gold left. So what he did for the temple guards, he made shields of brass. And he said to himself, when the sun shines on them, they look the same. Nothing changes. It's okay. When people look afar at the temple guards, their shields are shining. Brilliant guy, isn't he? There's a problem, though. There's a difference between brass and there's a difference between gold. And Paul brings and takes this up when he's talking about the subject in 1 Corinthians 13, when he talks about love. False love sounds like brass. It makes a clinging sound, not a nice sound. But our love should be like gold. This is what's happened to the church at Ephesus. The enemy has come and stolen their devotion of love for the Lord Jesus and they haven't even noticed. It's gone. It's like their love is now brass. It's a clanging sound. They keep going, but it's of no benefit to anyone. And that can happen in the Western world, especially in the Western world church. It can happen to us here at HBC, that the enemy comes and takes our gold of devotion to Christ and all we're left with is brass. We still have our works, we still uh, preach, we still do it all, we still labour, but we have fallen and we don't even know it. And so what does he say? What does Jesus say to them? It's a funny thing because a lot of commentaries kind of have different slants on what it means. And we can only, you know, from the epistle that Paul wrote to here, to try and link them and to see if we can combine what Jesus is actually saying and getting at for this church. He says for them to remember. Remember. Look back and remember what you had. It's an unusual thing. It's an unusual request. Remember what you had. The word is to keep remembering. In other words, how did you start? How did you start off? EBC, Ephesus Bible Church. How did you go? What was your beginning like? What was your heart like at the beginning? And so Jesus says, remember. Remember what you were. Remember where you have come from. Remember what you looked like at the start. Remember how you treated one another. Remember how you loved lost souls. Remember when you were saved. Remember when you forgive. Remember when you wept over sin and remember when you rejoiced in forgiveness. Go back and remember how you started. Remember when you served me out of love. And so he says, repent, repent, turn back to those times because you're fooling yourself in these times. And so I thought to myself, what is the lesson here for you and for me, for as a church, HBC, but also for individuals. Some commentators believe that non-believers had, had gone in, and this is what the letter's about. They've become a secular church where most of the church is not saved. I don't believe that, otherwise the Lord would not have told them to remember. How can non-believers remember what? Well, I can't remember anything in salvation. So I think for me, for this week, what I did for myself is I looked back not at a church situation, but as an individual situation. And there was three things I looked at. One, my salvation, two, my baptism, and three, when I wept last. The other three things that I personally think what this is telling me to do is to look back. And the first one is when I was saved. And I remember that time at 4 a.m. in the morning, beside my bed, knowing I was a sinner, knowing I needed Christ, knowing that week I wrestled with God. And I was kind of getting angry with him because no angel would come and give me a message that I was saved. And so I wrestled with him that night. And I remembered the joy I had the next morning when I knew I was saved. And that joy and that love I had for him, that nothing else mattered, only him. I wonder if you can remember that. Some of us have different um, circumstances and some of you don't have a bolt of lightning. Most of us don't and it's a bit of a progression of being saved and you, you come to it that, hey, I've trusted Christ for a while now. That's okay. And so maybe you've got that to look back on and how you love Jesus at the, at the start. Is that same love still there? Is that same love still burning within your heart? Maybe you don't remember that, so I go back to baptism and I remember when I was baptised. And as I said at the start, I hated being baptised because the focus is on you and I hate the focus being on me back then. (laughs) (laughs) And so I remember that and I remember the hardness of it. And uh, look, I just felt you look like a wee bit of a fool in this day and age to be dunked under and come up. And yet this is what Jesus said to do. So I obeyed him. Why? Because I loved him. I just wanted to obey him. And I remember going to bed that night, sleep, just going to sleep, realising I had a grin on my face from ear to ear. Because I obeyed him out of love. I wanted to do it not for me, not for the congregation, but for him. I think you'll find the two girls today, two young ladies, I should say, are doing the same. It's going to be hard for them, but such is their love for the Lord Jesus, that they don't care what you think, even though what you think is you're excited and you're pleased for them, but still. And so I I thought of that. So I thought of my salvation. I thought of my baptism. And lastly, I was reading a book recently last year it told of a, uh, a, the president of um, a Christian organisation, seminary, and when they hire people, like whether they hire um, chaplains, whether they hire pastors, whether they hire lecturers, they have this big, big, about nine people interviewing the one person. And at the back is the president. He says nothing. And as I was reading this book, the president, after the interview is over, he goes up to them and he only has One question for them. And his question is, when was the last time they wept? Whether it was Christ speaking to them through his word, whether it was them listening to a podcast of someone preaching God's word, whether it was in prayer or whether it was in song. When was the last time in their devotion time they wept? I wonder if I can ask you that. I've asked myself that. When was the last time you wept? Because Jesus shows you something that so touched you that you're like, mate, it's either sin, it's either encouragement. It's maybe because you didn't speak what you should have spoken to a lost soul, a witness. When was the last time? How's your devotions going? to him. And so that's the question I want to leave you with today. Why do you do the things you do? To ask yourself that, why am I running youth group, Kennehy Kids, Kennehy Youth? Why am I looking out and and getting speakers and stuff for ladies' craft? Why do I come here and set up the bread and wine? Why do I play music? Why? Why do I do the things I do? Maybe even extend it. Why do you turn up this morning? And why are you here? And if you're thinking on the flip side, you're thinking, ha I don't do any ministry. <laughs> I don't have to ask myself que- a question. Well, then ask yourself this one. Why aren't you doing anything? <laughs> and that should be a question as well. Because out of love for him, does come works. Remember, Jesus does commend them for doing things. Probably the wrong reason why they were doing them in the end. And so there are two questions. I want to leave you with a challenge out of this church. Why do we do the things we do? Let's pray, Father. Thank you so much for this morning. And it's with excitement we do come, but also with challenge from your word as well for this church we've been looking at it's an incredible incredible challenge and so Lord may it go into our hearts not just our heads this morning may we think of the cost of our salvation of what you've done for us take another look at our wonderful wonderful saviour again and ask ourselves that question why do I do the things I do May it be that we are a church, that we do it out of love for you. May that go in in every corner, whether it's leadership, whether it's Sunday school, whether it's cleaning, whether it's music, that we are doing it because we love you, we're passionate about you, we're devoted to you. If not, Lord, challenge our hearts. Maybe it might be the first time we have wept when we understand and take a good look at ourselves, that maybe we're just doing this for ourselves, the praises of men, the prestige of reputation. Maybe we're just doing it out of duty. Lord, challenge us, touch our hearts again. Encourage us um, to repent, to look back and go the other way and go towards you. We do pray. So thank you once again, Lord, for the challenge of your word. In the Saviour's precious name. Amen.